the bond of sin might be broken over our life and that we might have fellowship with you and experience eternal life and the joy of it and the strength and the power of that eternal life that comes from you and that relationship that we have with you. And we only have it because of the blood of Jesus. And so we are so grateful and we are so thankful for the price that you paid for us to have eternal life, a relationship with you. We're so grateful. We're so thankful, Jesus, that you paid that price for us. You humbled yourself and you bore our sin, our sickness, our pain, our sorrow, all the sin had inflicted upon us. You bore it in your own body that day. You were buried. You raised from the dead that we might have a newness of life and justification of our sin that we might enter and approach the very throne of grace to obtain mercy and help us and grace to help us when we have need. We're so thankful. We thank you. You did not leave us here without help and without hope. You sent the Holy Spirit of God to live in us and to be with us and amongst us. We thank you for that presence, Holy Spirit, that you lead us, you guide us, you teach us. We thank you for utterance to speak as we ought to speak. We thank you for the anointing in this place that destroys every yoke of bondage, bring healing to the sick, deliverance to those who are held captive in any way, in their mind, in their body, by substance or worry or stress or distress, that you bring freedom and liberty to each and every one. Bind up that which has been broken by life and relationships. Put it back together again as only you can do. We trust you in that. Father, we pray over all of these needs represented here that have been sent in through the internet, through the website. Father, we pray for them right now. Every need that you minister to every heart, every life, every body, for every family situation, that you bring reconciliation. Husbands and wives, parents to children, whatever the enemy has endeavored to do to sever those relationships, those bonds that you would, by your anointing and by your word, by the Spirit of God, restore families. We thank you, Father. The Holy Spirit who is the comforter and the helper. Father, those who are suffering, those who are grieving, that you'd comfort them, help them, strengthen them, be with them every single day. We thank you for the healer, that Jesus, you bore stripes upon your back. Your word declares that by your stripes, we were healed. We just thank you for every need represented here, whether physical, emotional, financial. You said you supply all of our need according to your riches and glory. By Christ Jesus. That what you did in Christ Jesus encompasses our whole life. To break the power of sin and what the enemy would do to kill, steal, and destroy. That you might bring life and bring it to the overflow for each and every one. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Bringing wholeness. We thank you for that. We thank you for everything that will be accomplished in every heart and every life by your word and by your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Man, it's a great day to be alive. <laughs> that should have woke you up a little bit. That would be like an alarm. It might get loud. Amen. Might get loud. I know some people are like, why do we have to get loud? Why not? 
Why not? Your life has been redeemed from destruction. Right? Man, why not get loud? You get loud about a lot of different things. Get loud about a lot of different things that may not matter tomorrow. Praise the Lord. And he, it says, the Bible says he's enthroned upon our praises. He's enthroned, which means really he rides as king on our praises. He doesn't ride as king on our complaints and our distresses. He rides as king on our praises. When we say, listen, this is all you've done. I can't help but praise you. In whatever form, I can't help but praise you. Amen. And so often we want to shout after we've seen a miracle, but faith shouts and declares before the wall comes down. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, why don't you look at somebody next to you and say, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If you believe that, you can be seated. Once again, welcome. We want to welcome everybody who's joining us online. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, we are uh, in, in a series of messages that we have called Foundations, Building a Life That Lasts. And uh, so I just want to... Um, encourage you, you know, uh, men, sign up for the men's conference. Uh, you know, those of you that are getting ready, if you can help and serve in the Easter egg hunt, I know in de- many different places, you know, uh, there's all kinds of different thoughts and thinking, you know, about, uh, you know, different holidays, different things. But, you know, even the Bible says, Paul said as Gentiles were being born again, he said, you know, whatever, whatever your custom, whatever, just celebrate Jesus. And so we're celebrating Jesus. We're reaching out to our community and families of our community. Draw them in that Jesus might be glorified. Jesus might be preached. The resurrection on Sunday would be preached to reach out to those who may not know Jesus as an avenue to draw them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we, we just encourage you to get involved, help. It's just fun to be out here, to see families out here, to see all the kids out here, all the things that are going on. And so I encourage you to get involved in that. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews, the fifth chapter. Hebrews, the fifth chapter. We are um, just really uh, using this as our foundational text uh, concerning uh, our foundations and, and building this life that lasts. And so often we'll get into something and it won't last for very long. But God has given us eternal life. Eternal life. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Mark Hankins was here, he talked about eternal life, this God kind of life. And eternal life is a duration of life, but it's not just a duration of life, but it is a kind of life. It's a life that is the same kind of life that God has. It's the same kind of life that is full of the post-resurrection life of Jesus when he came forth from the grave and this kind of life. And it's a quality of life that only comes from the Father. And so God, through Jesus Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection, has established for us a newness of life. And in establishing that newness of life, there's a foundation of that, just like you'd build anything. There's a foundation to build upon. Paul told the Corinthian church, a foundation has been laid, and those who build upon it, watch how you build. Because whatever you build with from that point will be tested by fire. So if you build with wood or hay or stubble, uh, it'll be tested by fire. It won't remain. But if you build with 
precious stones, if you build with something, and again, we're not, he wasn't really talking about jewelry. He was talking about those who build with the stones that are honed out, you know, whether it's marble or granite or whatever they were building with, it was something that would last. And, you know, if you've ever been over to Europe or something, we don't see it in, in the United States as much, but they've got castles. They've got buildings that are older than our country. And they're still standing, and they've been there through wars. They've been there through different things because they're on a foundation. They were built with stone. They were built to last. In our culture, sometimes we don't build to last. In fact, you know, just our culture, we build to not last so that you'll have to have something else. But our life, when, when God is speaking to us about our life, he says, I want you to build something that will last. It will stand in the storms of life. It will stand the test of time. It will stand through fiery trials. Has anybody ever been through a test? You ever been through a fiery trial? Right? Have you ever found through those tests and those trials that it seemed like your foundation might be weakened or some area of your life kind of just blew off? You know, something you were doing, all of a sudden something hit, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, many times, you know, it's a friendship that all of a sudden, a relationship that, that is taken away or blown off because of offense or something that happens. Many times, you know, it, it's a job. Many times it's finances. Many times it's relationship with your children or, or, or marriages. Many times storms come. Sometimes it's a relationship with your church or, or even with God is questioned because storms come, fiery trials come. And the Bible addresses all of those things and says they're going to come. Jesus even said storms Storms that are of hurricane velocity will come, but he encouraged us to build in such a way that when they come, it goes by and we are still standing. We're still standing and we live in a culture today that you don't know on any given day what storm is blowing your way. And so we as believers want to build our life to last. And so here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, he, he's, uh, the writer of Hebrews starts with this. He says, for, for, those, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Those who are of full age. That is, in other words, he explains how we come to full age. Those who by reason of use. Everybody say reason of use. Those who by reason of use have their senses. Their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he said this word that's living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, this word that can penetrate past your emotions, past your feelings, and penetrate right to the real you, the inner man, the spirit man, to strengthen you and raise you up, to empower you to do or to actively apply the word to situations of life. He said, this comes about and it begins to mature you and begins to cause your senses, what you see, what you hear, what you speak, what you come in contact with. He says, your senses are, get so primed by doing the word that you know, wait a minute, if everybody else is doing that and thinks it's okay, you know, I, I know that's wrong by applying the word of God. Man, I'm not going to listen to that anymore. If I keep listening to that, that's wrong. It's going to feed into me the wrong thing. If I keep observing that over and over, man, my, my, my senses are trained to say, I'm not going to 
look at that. I'm not going to take that in over and over again because it, it will affect the rightness that the word has developed in me. So in other words, by reason of, of use, by applying the word, not just hearing the word, but going out and applying the love of God, applying the joy of the Lord that is my strength, going out and applying the peace of God to situations of life, applying the goodness of God, beginning to build this life uh, uh, that really is a life that will last with substance, with spiritual substance that comes from the Holy Spirit of God, applying that which is spiritual to the natural Right? So there's all those reflections out there. Human love, but it's really kind of a selfish love. I love you as long as you love me. I'll do for you as long as you do for me. But Jesus said there's an extravagant love that comes from the love of God, that I love those who don't even love me. I pray for those who hate me. I pray for those who despitefully use and persecute me. He says it actually sets us apart from others. I digress, or actually I move too far forward because that's really what we're building upon. And if you try to start there, that's of spiritual substance. If you don't have a foundation and you're trying to love with the love of God without a foundation on your own, it will always seem to come up short. You'll love people who don't love you, but after a while you'll say, listen, I have done all this for them and there's no appreciation. I'm done loving. Why? Because you're trying to build something that's spiritual from a natural place. But if we build on a firm foundation and we use this substance to, to build upon, we begin to build a life that will last through those storms, a life that will last whether or not there's stress in the world, there's peace in my heart. Whether or not there's love surrounding me, there's love within me to bring out to others. There's just something going on. Whether there's a reason to rejoice, I have joy from God that's joy unspeakable and it's full of the glory of God. There's something that God had planned in Christ Jesus that takes me beyond the culture, takes me beyond the life of the day, takes me beyond the trouble, and it begins to give me a hope for the future of reaching others, of being significant and impactful in lives around me. So he goes on to say, this is by reason you use, he goes, therefore, in other words, you know, when he's talking about this, he says, you ought to be teachers. That doesn't mean that everybody is to have a pulpit. It says, when you learn these foundational principles and begin to build upon them, you can help others. You can teach others how to lay this foundation, what this foundation is made about, how to build a life just with anybody you come in contact with. You can begin to talk to them, to teach them. He says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary or very basic principles or first principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Now, if you think about it, 2,000 years later, the thing that we're constantly discussing as the body of Christ is these things. Do you have to repent or not repent? What is faith in God? What about baptism? All these things. And so we're not really building or getting to a place where we're really impactful in reaching out because we keep going over and rebuilding or redigging or reexamining the foundation. And once we laid the foundation, we build upon that. In areas of our life, we continue to build upon that with the, the, the substance that is in us because of this foundation. 
So let's just go over this just one more, one more time just uh, for review. What is foundation? What, what really does the, the, the definition of foundation mean? It means the basic, uh, the basis of an edis, edifice. The basis of an edifice. This is what Webster says. In other words, he's not talking about building a little one-room cabin. He's talking about building something big. It's the part of a building which lies on the ground or is grounded and founded. It's usually a wall of stone that supports an edifice. It's something that now is supporting what is being built on it. Another definition is the basis or the groundwork on which anything stands or is supported. The basis or the groundwork. In other words, sometimes we come in as Christians and we want to have a great spiritual life, but we've never really taken time to lay the groundwork or what's going to support this uh, really amazing kind of life, this amazing quality of life that God has given to us. So every time we step out, we, we, we say, well, I tried that, but it didn't work. Well, if we don't have the proper foundation it's not going to be there. I know some people will begin to say, you know, well, you know, I thought this whole thing was, was free. I thought that I came in and, and, and it was all God just bringing me out of the old nature and then God was going to do everything. Well, really, he did everything. He sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus went to hell on your behalf. God raised him from the dead so you could be forgiven Right, So I liken it like this, that you know, if all of a sudden somebody says, you know what, we're going to build, I'll use baseball just because I, I like baseball, but you know, we're going to build an amazing baseball team. All athletes come. Doesn't matter if you've ever played baseball before, we have a strategy. If you have ath uh, any athletic ability, come. You don't have to know anything else. Just come. We're going to build this team. And so athletes come from everywhere. Hockey players come. Basketball players come. Soccer players come. I mean, they come from everywhere. And they're like, this is cool. We're going to be with all these athletic people. It's going to be awesome. And so they all come in. They just freely come however they are. And the first thing they say is, I mean, it makes sense to us, right? Uh, leave your hockey stick and your hockey puck at home. You won't need them. Leave your soccer ball at home. You won't need them. What? No, we're building a baseball team. So you won't be as effective hitting that baseball that's coming to you 90 miles an hour with a hockey stick. What we have is a bat, and we have a ball glove. And we're going to teach you to take your athletic ability and throw instead of kick. And when you run from base to base, you're not going to have to be dribbling a ball on the way. <laughs> and you know, when that ball is thrown at you from the third baseman to the first baseman, don't think you can't touch it and stick your chest out there to knock it down so you can kick it. Because that will be painful. So no matter where you come from, if we're, you're going to come here freely and you're excited about building a baseball team, the first thing you have to know is you have to implement baseball fundamentals. So Jesus said no matter who you are or where you come from or what your past has been or where you think you might be going, come everybody into the kingdom of God. Jesus has shed his blood. He's paid the price. Come in. 
But when you come in, leave your sin behind, leave your foul mouth behind, leave your own works behind, because we're going to start on kingdom fundamentals. And there's too many uh, believers who are trying to hit the baseball with a hockey stick. They said, listen, in the world, I was great at hockey, but we're not playing hockey now. We're not playing sin now. We're not subject to sin anymore. We're not living according to the world and the course of this world. We are now living according to the kingdom of God, governed by the power of the Holy Spirit with new life and new principles. And we're going to build a great life. And we're, we are on a winning team. Well, why can't I just... Come on. Why can't I just kick that baseball once? I'm so used to kicking. It's not fair. Sure it is. Because when you pick it up and you learn to throw it, you're going to be able to compete or live or win in that realm. So when God's talking about this, he's talking about building this brand new life. And don't be sad about not being able to live the kind of life you used to. But when you lay that down and you're not sad because you can't use a hockey stick and you're not sad because you can't use a basketball. I mean, really, you're going to rear back and learn how to use your legs and drive and throw the ball 100 miles an hour, not just stand and arch it. And I know we're taking away from that pose at the end of a shot <laughs> that shows that you've got it. But when we live like Jesus, he gets the glory, he gets the honor. There might not be a pose at the end of a shot, but the victory is so much sweeter and so much greater in the end that we haven't yet realized. That's good. That's good. <laughs> So he begins to talk about this, this fundamental principles of repentance from dead works. We talked about that. Repentance isn't just being sorry you got caught or sorry you've done wrong or, gosh, I wish I could change. It's a decision in your own mind, in your own heart to say, I'm no longer going the way of the world. I'm no longer going my way. I'm no longer doing it all in my own effort and my own thing. I'm turning. That's what repentance is. I'm turning in my mind and in my actions. I'm turning from that. Well, where do I turn? What am I going to do if I do all that? What am I going to do if I put the hockey stick down? You're going to pick up a baseball bat. What am I going to do if I put the basketball down? You're going to pick up a baseball. Right? Pick up a glove. I'm, uh, I'm not without anything. There's all new equipment. There's all new strategies. There's all new things. I'm, I'm going from a, a, a lesser life to a greater life. And I don't have to take all the things of the lesser life. There's all the equipment that I need. There's everything I need for this new life. Can I at least wear my hockey jersey? They're so cool. No, there's a better jersey. Can I wear my skates? You'll have trouble skating on a ball diamond. Right? So he says, when you turn, don't feel bad about it because you're going to step into something brand new and you're going to turn towards faith in God. The one who equips, the one who has all the equipment, who's paid all the price, who has the Holy Spirit, he has the coaches, he has the management, he has the sphere of everything that you need, the teaching, the coaching, the ability, the strengthening, everything you need for this newness of life. But you've got to turn away from the old and come into the new and have faith in God. 
And in that, he's laying the groundwork. What, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is laying the groundwork. He's getting ready to form up your foundation and do everything to say, listen, this is really the formation of this turning and turning to Jesus. And he says, once you do that, there's a doctrine of baptisms that lays a foundation for you to move forward. And it's all tied together. It's not all of a sudden separated. And so he says, really, this, this idea of baptisms, this doctrine of baptisms, S, not one baptism. Now, I know if you have scripture, people are like, whoa, whoa, you're flipping through your Bible right now. Just be patient. We're getting to the ball gloves and the baseball bats and everything that we need to put this together. So he says there's this place of, uh, uh, that he says doctrines of baptism. So let's just first of all look at, at what baptism is. What is baptism? Baptism in the, in the Greek is a word baptizo or, or baptizo, uh, baptizo which means to fully immerse, to fully immerse. And so, you know, uh, there, there's, you know, different people sprinkling different things, but they fully immerse. Even in the first century church, they said, you have to find a body of water, preferably moving water. So they're thinking about baptism and washing over. But if not, something you can be fully immersed in. If you can't be fully immersed, you take three full pitchers of water and pour it over their head so that they're fully drenched. Right? There was just a, a, a concept that, of understanding that baptism is not just a, a little dabble, do you? It's understanding I'm being fully immersed in something. When you get to that Greek word, that, one of the root words to that, that uh, word in the Greek, it means uh, uh, to dip and to die. Die, D-Y-E. So what they did, the Greek language, is they, they would take a piece of cloth that they had, they had uh, woven together, and they would take it and they would baptizo into the dye. And they would put it and fully immerse it in the dye until every fiber of the fabric was changed in color. So when you brought that cloth out of the baptism in the dye, it was fully changed. There's something about understanding what happens when you're immersed in these baptisms and you come out that I don't come out of that the same. There's another part of that root word that means really being placed into. So we're just going to cover as quickly as I can these three baptisms to bring you some understanding. Uh, again, if we covered all of this, and we may go back and cover some at time, this is just foundational for you to, to begin to study, to look at. But the first one that we're going to talk about is the baptism into the body of Christ. This baptism into the body of Christ, three things that you need to know about baptism. First of all, there has to be a baptizer, right? There has to be a baptizee, <laughs> and there has to be something that you're baptized into. So here, the first one, the baptism into Christ, the baptizer is the Holy Spirit, the person is the baptizee, and the body of Christ is what you're immersed or baptized into. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
something as supernatural as baptism into Christ is something that's supernatural, something that you, we really can't figure out how it works or what it does. It's, it's a, a, an expression, and it's, it's really brought about by faith that the moment you repent from your sin and you turn and have faith in Jesus Christ, in God, and what he's done through Jesus Christ to save you, and you receive Jesus as Lord, you are by the Holy Spirit then taken and immersed into Christ's body. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink of one spirit. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So what happened when you were born again, when you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Because you've repented from your sin, now he takes you and he immerses you into his body. And everything changes. Another way that he says it is 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that any man, be, any man that be in Christ or in Christed, by the Holy Spirit, you now have been put into Christ. You've been taken out of this old system where sin dominates. It rules over your thoughts and your minds and your emotions. The, the, the ways of the world dictate how you think. Now you've been immersed or engrafted into Christ. You become a part of him and who he is. Jesus said it himself this way. He said, uh, I am the vine and you are the branches. Right? Right? Anybody who is in me will produce fruit. He said, without me, or without being engrafted or baptized into me, without me, you can do nothing of eternal value. Right? So we're immersed into this body. We're immersed into this very life of God. We become, at the moment of new birth, we become a member of the body of Christ. We have been in Christed. So we're in him and he's in us. There's a supernatural exchange of life that takes place because we're no longer out here serving a God who's out there somewhere. Well, Jesus is up there somewhere. Uh, what do I do? No, we've been immersed into his body, into his life, into the very substance of his life. So Paul, there in Acts, he's standing on Mars Hill looking over the Acropolis in Athens, Greece. He said, I perceive that you all are religious people. He's looking at all the temples that they've made to all the gods, the Greek gods that they worship. And he said, I also noticed that tomb or that, that uh, temple to the unknown God. He said, the one that you don't know, I know. And it's in him that we live, in him that we move, and in him that we have our very being. Now listen, this is a, 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 a huge foundation to know that you have been in Christed. That you're not the same old person. You're not drawing the same old life that you used to. Even you can look at it prophetically, the 91st Psalm where he said, I abide in the secret place of the Most High. I'm under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of him, he is my rock, my fortress, my God. It's in him that I trust. I rest under his wings, and his shield has made my protection. Why? Because I'm in him. I'm enveloped in his life. I'm enveloped in his body. I'm enveloped in his nature. 
And it happens supernaturally when we make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. And in that place, there is that one baptism. There's that place that we look at. And I know some people are saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about Ephesians chapter 4? What about that Ephesians chapter 4 that says, one faith, one Lord, one baptism? I'm glad you asked that question. So really, as Greek scholars begin to uh, unveil and look at that particular situation, they're looking at the, the, uh, the understanding of that. They're looking at uh, what um, God says, just a minute, my, my uh, praise the Lord. There we go. And so Greek scholars begin to look at it and they translate it, not just one baptism, but they understand that by the Holy Spirit, one time. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, there is one placing into the body. One placing. It doesn't mean there's only one kind of baptism. It means there's one time that you're put into the body of Christ. Right? You're not in and out and in and out and in and out. I know some of you are way too young to know this, but, you know, there's this episode of MASH. Whenever I talk about this, it always comes back to me. Episode of MASH, you got Hawkeye and the other guy, you know, and then you got Frank Burns. And so they're harassing Frank Burns this, this one time because Frank Burns was, you know, the, the model officer. He's always telling on those guys who were wild and all that stuff, and he got uh, confined to his tent. And so they're harassing him. And they're telling him, oh, sorry, Frank, you're here, but look at us. We're free. We can come in the tent, and we can go out of the tent. And we can come in the tent, and we can go out of the tent. And we can come in the tent and go out of the tent. Well, see, some people think that in their Christian life. I'll come into Christ, and then I'll go out of Christ. And I'll go into Christ, and I'll go out of Christ. No, once you go into Christ, you're in Christ. Why think about ever going outside when you've been immersed in the life and the nature and the character, the personality of the creator himself through his son, Jesus Christ. It's just powerful. So Kenneth Weiss, uh, word study, a Greek scholar, his translation of this says this, there is one body and one spirit, even as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one placing into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, one God and Father of all, the one above all and through all and in all. So that first baptism into Christ is, you know, many times people say, well, there's only one baptism and that's in water. Well, no, you have to be baptized into Christ. And so that's an important understanding of that baptism. The second baptism that we're going to talk about is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And oh my goodness. Hey, Bucky, could you go into my office for a minute? There's, I think there's a piece of paper, a uh, folded paper in there, because without that, we'll be in trouble. I know you all think I don't follow my notes, but I do sometimes. Turn over to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. This has always become pretty controversial uh, to us. Uh, for some reason, I'm not sure I understand exactly, but here in Matthew chapter 3, we're talking about the second baptism in the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, this is John, 
the Baptist speaking. He said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So we have Jesus, the baptizer, the believer, the baptizee, and the substance in which they're being baptized is the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. So Acts chapter 1, Jesus said this. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says, For truly, uh, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power. Everybody say power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's not in there. I'm so not used to using external notes. Yeah, that proved me wrong. I guess I don't use my notes. I don't even know where I put them. So he said, listen, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit for what? For power. For power to be witnesses. Thank God for witnessing people. But the most effective witness is one who witnesses not by hearsay, but with evidence. So he said, I'm going to empower you to be a witness that Jesus is alive from the dead. And with the same power that he operated in when he was alive in the single body, in his body, they are going to possess the same anointing, the same power to be a witness that Jesus is alive and living in his body today. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people, you know, the book of Acts uh, chapter 2, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. He filled all of those, uh, uh, and the cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And, uh, you know, they went out into the streets right away. Immediately, the same Peter who denied Jesus in front of a little girl is the same one who is boldly declaring the word of God. Now he has that same boldness, that same power that has come upon him to look a multitude in the face and say, this is not, we are not drunk as you suppose, this is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. And the same Jesus who you crucified, God raised from the dead. And this is the manifestation of what you see and hear right now. And they said, what do we need to do to be saved? Come on. Again, you can read it. It's just, uh, uh, I, I went through that with paraphrase very quickly. And so some people will say, well, that's the only time that it happened. No, it happened all through the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit moved. And so every time that we see that people receive Jesus Christ, in other words, they were baptized into Christ, then we see these other baptisms begin to take place. So in Acts chapter 8, in, in verse 14 through 17, Philip went down to Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And as he preached Christ to them, there were miraculous things that happened. And it says the, the, the whole region, the whole city got saved. And right after they heard that, that the gospel was preached in Samaria, Peter and John went down to them. And those who had been saved, they went, I mean, they went right down. As soon as they heard that people were accepting Jesus Christ, they went down and ministered the Holy Spirit, laid hands on them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They might receive the Holy Spirit. That's how, how 
powerful in the New Testament it was. They didn't say, you know, well, let's just wait a little while. They said, if you have just been baptized into Christ, new life, then it's very important that you receive this power to be witnesses of this brand new life that you've now entered into. So why didn't he just give it to me at once? Because we live our life by faith. The moment you think, well, I got this all wired, he says, no, you're going to need power. You're going to need power that you're endued with power from on high that comes from God, that comes from his spirit to do what I've called you to do. Come on, there's power that you need. Anybody ever needed a little extra power, supernatural power, just to forgive somebody? (laughs) Come on. I can't forgive them. Sure you can. If you have been immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're empowered to do whatever God said for you to do. In Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, he's riding on the road to Damascus. He's knocked off his horse by a bright light. It's Jesus. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why is it that you persecute me? He said, is this you, Lord? He said, yes. So Paul gets saved. Then he goes, uh, and and, uh, Ananias begins to minister to him. What does he minister to him? Immediately, he prays for him that scales fall out. He receives the Holy Spirit, and then actually he's baptized in water. So Saul, or the apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he got saved on the road to Damascus, baptized in the Holy Spirit when Ananias laid hands on him, and then was baptized into water. Why? Because he knew it's a powerful foundation for me to accomplish the will of God in the earth. Acts chapter 10, Peter goes down to to Cornelius' house. The Gentiles, this is when the Gentiles began to receive Jesus Christ. He begins to preach to them how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And while Peter is preaching, the Holy Spirit came upon each and every one of them. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were baptized in water. The power of the Holy Spirit came on them. Acts chapter 19, Paul's in in Ephesus. He begins to preach to some people about Jesus Christ, and and, uh, he asked them if they'd heard about the Spirit. They said, we didn't even know that there was a Spirit. He said, what baptism were you baptized into? They said, the baptism of John. So he preached Christ to them. They received Jesus Christ, and then he prayed for them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Began to speak with tongues and prophesy. Everywhere you see, all the way through, and then it didn't stop at the book of Acts. It moved into the church at Corinth, and Paul gave instruction concerning that to them. It's very important because as we're immersed into the body of Christ, there's so many things to do in this life of Christ and to produce, but he said, I'm not going to leave you powerless. Jesus said this, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, or I'm not going to leave you powerless, but I'm going to send another one of the exact same kind as myself, the Holy Spirit. He said the world won't know him, the world can't comprehend him, but you will know him because he won't just be with you, he will be in you. In other words, he's not just all around you, but he's in you. You're fully immersed in him. 
So, well, I think I, you know, I got in Christ and I, I, you know, you're like a glass container. Oh, I'm filled. But listen, he's talking about taking that glass and dropping it in a pitcher. There's nothing like that. If you, if you have a, a glass full of water, but then you drop it in a pitcher of water, now you're not just filled with it. You're fully surrounded and consumed by it. That's baptism. That's immersing. So listen, when we're immersed in Christ, everything that was of the old man now is put off. We become a new creation in Christ with this vast new life and new hope of being, this new hope of eternal calling and significance that God has given to us. But when we look at that, we're like, yeah, that's awesome, but little old me, how am I going to do that? And he says, don't worry, I won't leave you without power, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So it's really about power to be witnesses. I know the question that's going on in some people's mind, well, what about that tongues thing? Well, there was always a manifestation in the baptism of the Holy Spirit of speaking in tongues. Why? Again, we can't get into that to full because I'm about to run out of time here, but in the full, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians, a man that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. How is it in the spirit he speaks mysteries? There's divine secrets. So Romans chapter 8 tells us that when we don't know what to pray for as we ought to pray, the spirit helps us to pray in groanings that cannot be uttered in articulate speech. How is it that he's praying out the will of God? In other words, there's things about the will of God that we are powerless to know, but God already knows. He's already planned. He's getting us to pray those out those mysteries, those divine secrets. Colossians chapter 3 says, now that you've been raised with Christ. How many of you have been raised with Christ? If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's not hidden from you, it's hidden for you. But when you begin to pray by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, you begin to pray out the mysteries that are not hidden from you, but are hidden for you. Why? Because he's helping you pray out the will of God concerning that. He goes on farther to say, a man that prayeth in an unknown tongue edifies or strengthens or builds up his inner man. So, well, wait a minute. I don't understand what I'm praying when I'm doing that. No, he does because it's spiritual and it's building up your spirit man, not your intellectual man. And your carnal mind and your carnal man gets upset that you're praying something that they don't know yet. But they will know it as it begins to affect them, as it begins to build you up and strengthen you in your inner man. So the proverb says that a strong spirit of a man sustains him in bodily harm and trouble. Well, how do I get strong spiritually? Well, studying the Word of God. You're immersed into Christ, so now you become spiritually alive. But by the Holy Spirit, being that baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are endued with power, and you're able to pray out things that your mind is limited to do. It's powerless to understand that the Holy Spirit begins to work through to pray out that will begin to edify and build up your inner man more than your outer man, your intellectual man, and strengthen you. Many times we just give the Holy Spirit, we just pray, but we don't understand what's going on. We should be praying and knowing and looking for that strengthening, that revealing of 
the plans and the purpose of God come forth. All right, the third baptism is the baptism in water. Again, you have to study this. This is obviously any believer can baptize another person. The substance is water. When we're baptized in water, it's an outward display or confession that we died with Christ. We were buried with him and we were raised to a newness of life. It's the outward expression to those around us, those watching, that I died to the old man. And when I come up, I have every intention and plan of living in the newness of life that Jesus has provided for me. I've already believed unto salvation. I've been immersed into Christ. And whether the order is the same or not, I've been immersed into Christ. I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with power. And now I'm letting everyone watching know that I believe this beyond a shadow of a doubt. When he died, I died with him. When he raised, I raised to a newness of life. Romans chapter 6. Paul says, just ending chapter 5, about grace and sin. He says, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, being buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, even so we should walk in a newness of life that that outward display, and it was an ordinance of Jesus. He said, go out and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, those who believe, now listen, those who believe and are baptized, what that, that baptism is, those who believe will be immersed into Christ. He says, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Saved from the eternal judgment. Saved, why? Because they're now immersed into Christ. Those who don't believe are condemned. But these signs will follow them that believe. They'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit to lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. All kinds of power. But he said the whole concept of identification with Christ is that when he died, he died our death. We died. The old man died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. When he raised, we were raised with him to a newness of life. Jesus said when, in 28, preach the gospel. When you make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, in Acts chapter 8, when Philip went out and preached in Samaria, verse 12 it says, but when they believed Philip's preaching, uh, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 36, it says, and when they went their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch, this was after Philip preached to the eunuch, he says, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he was baptized into water. See, baptism doesn't save you. If baptizing you in water would save you, that's a work of your flesh. You're saved, but there's an outward declaration. Jesus said, if you will acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father and the angels in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father and the angels in heaven. 
Water baptism is a public display that I've died with Christ and I've raised to a newness of life. To everybody who's watching, I have died with Christ. And when I come up, I plan on living this brand new life. It's a declaration in obedience to Jesus to say, you are publicly displaying and confessing and declaring of your own life that I'm not the same person I used to be. I've gone down and under with Christ and I've come up to a new resurrected life with him. And you move forward. So in water baptism, you come up, you go down, fully expecting everything to be washed, and you come up and say, there's a newness of life for me to live. When you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, you go in powerless, and you come up powerful. When you go into Christ, you go in lost, and you come out found. It's just like that cloth that goes into that dye until it totally saturates it, and it comes up totally a different When Jesus went to the river Jordan, John was baptizing for the remission of sin. Jesus didn't, it puzzled John. I don't need to be baptized. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. He hasn't sinned. When he stepped into that water, he said, it's necessary because I'm going to show you what your baptism is about. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to be buried. And I'm going to raise from the dead. See, he was already born of God. He was born of the Spirit of God. He was baptized to show forth that I will die, but I will raise again in a newness of life. And when he came out, the Holy Spirit descended upon him to empower him for the three and a half years of ministry and signs and wonders and miracles that would take place. The very foundational principles of Christ, being born of God, immersed into Christ, be empowered for what God has planned for you to do, the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And declaring, I've died with him and I've raised to a newness of life. Father, we thank you. We praise you and we magnify you. We thank you for these foundational truths that we can lay in our life or we can check and we can look and say, how is our foundation? How have we built upon it? How are we going to build upon it? We are going to build upon it. That when we go astray and start thinking our own way, we've already established that we come back. We turn from that. We come back to faith in you and all that you've done for us. And that when we look at that and we say, I'm gonna have faith in you, but you've got things for me to do. We understand that we are no longer the old man, but we are a new man in Christ. We're no longer powerless, but we may be made powerful to live in this newness of life that we've declared in our resurrection life. Help us to understand that this foundation will be something that we build upon, this edifice of an eternal life, this life with God, that displays the resurrection of Christ, the forgiven life, the new life, free from sin and death and all of its effects that we might live and flow in a newness of life. Strengthen each one, I pray, Holy Spirit. Bring wisdom and understanding to each and every heart and each and every life that we might see the fullness of it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I've never even accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Never had that first baptism. I've been trying to live good. I've been trying to live, but I found myself not able to do that. Old things keep coming out. He says, listen, any man that be in Christ, in Christed, engrafted, in, immersed into Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new, and now everything is of God. 
So what am I going to do after that? You're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to live in this newness of life, this resurrection of life. If you're here this morning, you're watching this morning, you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. This is a perfect opportunity. I know we've gone a little bit long, but we don't want to leave after that message without giving you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, say, I'm, I, I need Jesus. This is my day to lay this foundation to build upon. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you this morning. Anybody at all? Don't know? Don't want to leave without knowing? Anybody at all? Unfortunately, we cannot see those who are watching us live stream. If you're there, you're watching, you say, I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior this morning. This might not have been a salvation message in that way, but it's a foundational message. So because we don't know if they've got their hand raised or not, we're all going to pray this prayer together. If you're watching online, you need Jesus as Lord of your life. If you're here and you didn't raise your hand, but you know you should have, let's just all pray this together. Say, Father God, I come to you this morning ready to lay down my way of doing things and turn to you. This morning, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my need for a Savior. So Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and be the Lord of my life. I receive you now. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer uh, for the first time, go on the the uh, tell your story on our website. We'd love to hear that you accepted Jesus Christ. We want to send you a personal gift uh, just to help lead you in that walk, that, that new uh, adventure with Jesus Christ. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. If anyone here, you prayed that prayer, you didn't raise your hand, there'll be altar workers up here to just give you three mini books as a gift from us to, to begin your journey with a good foundation in Christ. Why don't you stand up with me? Say this, we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.